a short psalm, but yet one that shares some valuable truth. Aren't you glad that all the scripture is profitable? Uh, that there's none of it that we don't need or that we can't learn from. It's all applicable and profitable to us here today. Psalm 133, if you're there, say amen. amen. We're going to read this entire psalm in unison. And so you read along with me just three verses. Psalm 133, verses 1 through 3, the Word of God says, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, that went down to the skirts of his garments, as the dew of Hermon, and as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. And let's pray. Father, thank you for this wonderful little song we find uh, tucked in the large book of Psalms. And we pray today you'd give us insight into it. We desire uh, this unity. We desire this pleasantness, this blessing. We know what it's like to live without it. Our country is uh, agonizing today without it. Churches across the land suffer without it. And yet we desire it. We strive for it. Help us to have it, Lord. Give us unity here at our church, in our homes, uh, in our community, in our country. Uh, Lord, And we can only find that by turning to you. And I pray that we'd seek you with all of our heart this morning, and we would take the gospel, uh, turning many to righteousness uh, as we endeavor uh, to get more and more people uh, to trust you and seek the unity that's only found in the true and living God. We pray that you'd work on our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> this is a beautiful psalm, and we'll jump into it in a few moments but as I was praying about what to preach uh, the last uh, several weeks we've touched quite a bit on the state of our nation the state of humanity uh, and I, I always consider coming to church as just kind of an oasis from the craziness of the world uh, and then the last few days uh, able to take aside some time with some of the men in our church and just be able to enjoy that unity of just being in Christ, you know, sitting around the fire talking, playing some games and not worried about uh, the cursing and the screaming and the fighting and the bickering and, and, and all of that stuff. It's just, it's a wonderful thing. And I was a little bit unsettled still, many things I could have preached, but even yesterday afternoon just praying and I sat by the lake for a little while, just meditating and praying, and, and the Lord brought my attention to this psalm, and so uh, I believe this is what the Lord has for us this morning, and I've enjoyed looking at it and and uh, studying it the last day or so. Our world needs unity. Never has our world been so divided. Polarization has increased among God's people as well. 
Some of God's people trying to stay faithful to the word. Others of God's people trying new things and going different directions. And you see this separation, this polarization, this uh, infighting, arguing, division, strife is everywhere. Politically, we see it in our nation. And it just, just when you think it reaches its climax, something else happens and it gets to be uh, even more fevered pitch. Uh, this week, I saw the Speaker of the House... Uh, call the president basically an illegitimate president who should not be listened to, not worthy to even debate, and that his henchmen were trying to destroy America. Now, you, you've got to understand, regardless of what political side of the aisle you're on, that would have been a scandal for most of America's history. Politicians didn't talk about each other that way. There was at least a sense of decorum. There was a sense of, of uh, propriety. But all that has gone out the window. And even politics has been uh, framed as a battle against good and evil, and in many ways it is, just not in the way it's often promoted. We've seen churches suffer over the years. Churches that I'm aware of struggle because of inward strife and, and fighting. Uh, we've seen families struggle, husbands and wives that can't get along, parents and children that, that can't get along. Uh, and it seems like this disunity, this strife, this division, this uh, infection is spreading amongst the world. I wonder how many of you ever played a team sport? Anybody ever play a team sport? Most of you? I used to enjoy sports, and I played all of them that were offered uh, at our school growing up. I know that that might surprise some of you. You don't necessarily think this is an athletic body. Uh, I have strategically covered my athleticism in a layer of fat, uh, just to camouflage it. Uh, it was intentional, trust me. Believe me. No. But if you ever played a team sport, you, you've, you know the wonderful camaraderie that comes along with just being on the same team, going for the same goal, uh, communicating on the floor. You know, basketball. I played all sports that, that my school offered, but basketball, of course, growing up in Indiana was my favorite. And I mean, the communication on the floor, uh, the, the simple beauty of a pick and roll, the, the wonder of a no-look pass because you've played long enough to know that if this happens, your buddy's going to cut towards the basket, uh, the talking on defense, switching here and there, the joy of winning, that's wonderful. But if you've played on team sports, you also know what it's like when the team doesn't get along very well when there's a ball hog that always has to shoot the ball, when there's someone that's proud that thinks that they're God's gift to humanity and everybody should bow to them, when someone makes a mistake and uh, people start screaming and yelling at each other on the same team instead of encouraging one another. Uh, there's nothing quite like that. It's like, man, we're supposed to be on the same team. And any team that's fighting amongst itself has lost the the battle before they ever get on the floor or the, or the field. Each of us are part of a family. 
Home should be a safe place, unified by love and joy. Yet how many homes are filled with anger and hurt and strife? How many married couples are struggling right now to communicate, to be on the same page? Well, it just shouldn't be that way. And when it is, we've all been there, it's a special kind of hurt, isn't it? A nation's citizens should be unified by the flag, the national anthem, and a commitment to the common good. But today we see strife in our nation over the very symbols that should unite us against common foes. And our nation's enemies laugh and scorn while we tear each other apart instead of being unified to fight against the real enemy. A local church is meant to be the pillar and ground of truth, unconditionally committed to God and His Word. Christians are the ambassadors of Christ who should live for the glory of God and seeking the lost and displaying the salvation of Christ through holy living and a brotherly love. Sadly, many churches experience strife, divisions, cliques, and splits. It shouldn't be. Here's the basic underlying thought this morning. We need a revival of unity in our country and in our churches. A revival of unity. I wish we could say that our church has always been unified. Most of the time it has. But we know what it's like when uh, someone or, or, or a group of folks begin to fight and claw for their own way. It's unpleasant. I remember years ago I <clears throat> was going... Th- some strife was happening in the church, and and uh, every time I walked in the door, man, I was getting hit with something. Every time I walked in the door, it got to the place where I didn't even want to come to church. It's like, and I'm the pastor. It's like, oh, man, as soon as I walk in the door, I'm going to get beat up with something, and so-and-so this, and so-and-so this, and these two are fighting, and it's like, what in the world? So I, I made a, a rule there for a while, and I haven't held people to it. I'll, I'll probably reinstitute it if it gets bad again. But I literally said from the pulpit, and I held people to it, that when I walked in the door, you had to say three nice things to me before you could say anything negative. And uh, some of you will remember that. And I'd see people, I'd walk in the door, and they'd be like, Pastor! And I'd be like, and they'd be like, that's a nice tie. You look well this morning. And something else, okay, now here's the problem. And uh, I'd be like, okay, at least we got, at least I got that momentary help. Uh, Folks, that's no fun. Nobody should want to live like that. Same thing with the home. You know, when I know guys or, or girls that, that don't want to go home because they know as soon as they walk in the door, it's going to be strife and problems. Well, that's not the way God intends for us to live. Unity is a wonderful thing. And Psalm 33 tells us about the pleasantness of Christian unity. And that's the simple title of the message today, The Pleasantness of Christian unity. I want you to look at Psalm 133. We'll look back and forth here and at some other verses. Look at uh, Psalm 133. And then if you look under the just the, the main title, Psalm 133, many of you will have some small words under that psalm. Do you see that? Kind of a subheading of the chapter. And it says, mine says, the benefit of the communion of saints, a song of of degrees of David. So most of your Bibles will probably say a song of degrees of David. 
And when you're looking through the Psalms, 150 little songs, some little, some quite long, uh, the Psalms were the, the Jewish hymn book, if you will. But they were uh, divinely inspired hymns. They weren't just helpful and, and, uh, uh, and, and, and spiritual. They were literally the words given by God. Uh, and so it's a wonderful, wonderful truths found in here. And you'll find some of them are called different things, different subheadings. Uh, we won't take time to, to explain all that. But a song of degrees is an important title. So this one is subtitled, A Song of Degrees of David. So that tells us, first of all, that King David wrote this psalm. And of course, he was the great psalmist of Israel. He wrote a lot of the psalms. And then it says, a song of degrees. Now, what is a song of degrees? There are actually 15 psalms that have the subtitle, A Song of Degrees. And you can find them in your Bible and look at them later. Psalm 120 through Psalm 134 are called the Songs of Degrees. Now, we believe these were special songs that were sung during the pilgrimage. So, uh, pilgrimages. So during the Old Testament, they would have national feasts where the Israelites would come together to Mount Zion to worship God in these feasts. And the Song of Degrees would, if you could get this picture, the people ascending uh, the mountain there, they would sing these songs as they walked up the mountain. And so they're ascending. They're, they're, uh, these are the degrees. They would sing one song, then they're a little bit higher. They would sing another song, they're a little bit higher. They'd sing another song, they're a little bit higher. Another song, a little bit higher. And so they would sing these songs uh, as they would come together to worship Jehovah in unity. And these songs unified their hearts as they traveled. Uh, one thing I have enjoyed for many years over uh, over taking the teenagers different places is oftentimes when we're on a long trip, the teenagers will begin to sing Christian songs together. And I really enjoy that. And usually there's a couple young girls that will get the, 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 sings, uh, or the song started and the singing going, and they'll sing different songs, like some we might sing in church, some we might sing on the, the bus route, and I'll just be driving along and sometimes singing, and sometimes it's just a beautiful thing to have everybody singing the same song as you're traveling what it does, the song unifies your heart. It gets you all thinking about the same thing. It gets you all paying attention to each other, and it unifies your voices, your heart, and your mind as you're singing the song together. And there's been many times when I'm driving a bus or, or driving a van with just tears running down my face hearing young people sing uh, the, the, to the glory of God. It's just a beautiful thing. I enjoy the song service during church. There's a reason why we sing songs together. First of all, God told us to. Uh, secondly, it's good for us. Uh, thirdly, because it honors him. I mean, I could keep going with all the reasons, but if you're willing to stipulate that it's good for us to sing songs, and I'll move on. We all know it's good for us to sing songs. And so it, it gets all of our hearts thinking. It, it draws our attention to the God of heaven. It puts all of our minds as we read the words and we sing the words, we all begin thinking about the same things and the goodness of God. It unifies our voices as we're all finding the same pitches and harmonies singing at the, the same cadence. It's a wonderful thing. That's why I often encourage you that when it comes time for the song service, sing. Get out a hymnal. Look at the words. Sing through the song. I promise you, you'll get more out of church after singing than just sitting there waiting for the sermon to start. Every single time. I remember going to church as a young man and I couldn't sing much. Uh, I didn't know how to sing. Uh, I could rap a little bit. 
uh, didn't know how to sing. And I remember sitting back there and hearing everybody else around me singing, and, and I thought, boy, so I began trying to sing and trying to find the notes, and, and I didn't know how to sing, but eventually over time, God just helped me figure it out. And I believe God will give you a voice if you want to sing and choose to sing. And, and hey, if you can't find those notes, just make a joyful noise, amen? I think God pleases that, is pleased in that. And so this was a psalm of degrees, a song of degrees. The song was written by David. We believe this psalm was probably written when he was made king over Israel. You've got to remember that before Israel uh, anointed David as king, their king was a man named Saul. And Saul had a good start, but he had a rough finish. And those were uh, turbulent years as Saul began to come uh, unraveled during his, uh, his reign. And he got filled with bitterness and pride against David. And he spent a good portion of time taking his armies hunting the favorite son of the nation, David. Uh, as David was running from place to place, uh, Saul was just coming unglued. The Bible says he, David would actually play for him, and he had, Saul had evil spirits on him. I mean, he just wasn't thinking straight. He just wasn't acting straight. Uh, just up and then down and angry and sad and just uh, coming unglued. Those were tumultuous days. And finally, Saul, killed by his enemies, the country after a period of time makes David their king. David uh, reigned in Hebron for seven years and then eventually was made king over the entire unified nation of Israel. And we believe that's when this psalm was written, when all the country finally came together. After decades of turmoil and strife, the nation came together. And it's in that setting we find this psalm, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Unity is like a balm for the soul when it comes from God. Now, what is unity? I'm using the word a lot. The Bible uses it. What does unity mean? Uh, it simply means the state of being one, uh, a oneness. It means concord, agreement, uniformity, oneness of sentiment, affection, or behavior. It's getting together on the same page. And there's no more strife, no more frustration, no one vying for their way to be held, their thinking to be adopted. It's just unity. Now, there's only one way to get true Christian unity, and that is through God. The world tries to get unity by beating you into submission. Uh, they'll shame you for not believing what they believe. They'll yell, they'll scream, they'll manipulate, they'll call you names for not believing what they believe or agreeing with them. But that's not how Christians find unity. Anytime someone starts acting like that, that is ungodly. That's not how God gives us unity. The way Christians find unity is we all agree with God. You see, we have the benefit that God's always right. Amen? He's always right. And so if I agree with God, then I can be right. And if you agree with God, then we're both right. And we're both on the same page. See, Christian unity comes when one or more people agree with God. They stop fighting for their own way, their own thinking, 
and they agree with God, and now they're on the same page. They are in unity. Hold your place here, or mark your place, and look at Jeremiah chapter 32. And look at verses 38 and 39. And they shall be my people, and I will be their God. Verse 39, and I will give them one heart. Isn't that good? And one way that they may fear me forever for the good of them and for their children after them. See, true unity comes when God gives people one heart and one way. And how do we get that? Through fearing Him. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And when I say, God, you can have your way, you're right, I'm wrong, the more I agree with God, the more that I can be right and blessed, the more you agree with God and I'm agreeing with God, we're not fighting over who's right because he's right. Amen? He's right. And so now we're on the same page, and as long as we keep following him, we can have one heart and one way. And then the Bible says that it was for the good of them. See, blessing comes from following God. Well, I hope you've lived long enough to know that doing it your way is always going to lead you into the ditch. Every time. It might go good for a while. It might look good for a while. But eventually, you'll end up in the ditch. And the longer you've been doing it your way, the, the worse the crash is going to be. But doing it God's way is the way to blessing. And notice that verse 29 says, For the good of them and of their children after them. Uh, Doing right and and being committed to following God doesn't just bless me, it blesses those around me. Specifically here are children. Parents, when you choose to follow God, your children will be blessed. They won't have to fight battles that you have to fight. And I say to the the Christian young people growing up in our church all the time, you you haven't had to fight some of the battles with sin and difficulty because your parents have made wise choices. And sometimes they appreciate that. And they, they uh, use that to move on to bigger and better things. And sometimes they just don't believe what God says about sin because their life hasn't been that bad. And they'll go dive into sin having to find out for themselves that they were blessed and protected from that foolishness by the good choices of their family. But see, following God and He gives unity, that doesn't just bless us, it blesses those around us. God is always right. If two or more people agree with God, then they are unified by that agreement. Here's a wonderful thing. Our Lord teaches us what to believe, how to feel. See, some people don't know that. God teaches us how to feel about things. Many people just follow their feelings. Their feelings are more important than what's true. Well, I just feel this way. Feelings, you're not the servant of your feelings. Your, ser- your feelings are made to serve you. And when you realize and, and you attain that power to direct your feelings rather than be a, a slave to them, it gives you a wonderful uh, liberty in life. And God tells us how to feel about things, not just how to think about things. He tells us what to love. God tells us what to love and what not to love. And God tells us ultimately how to live. And when we agree with God, so think about this. 
when we agree with God, imagine the power and the liberty that comes from being in unity over what you believe, how to feel, what to love, and how to live. That's a wonderful, safe place. And within that, God gives us room for individuality. Uh, but ultimately, we are safe within the protective confines of the will and word of God as we find unity in those things. John seventeen twenty one, Jesus prayed that his people would be unified as one. Listen to this verse, that all may be one as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. Jesus prayed that the disciples would be unified, that they would be as one. Because God and the Father and the Son and the Spirit, they're all one. The Godhead is in complete harmony. There's nothing at odds between them. God wants His people to be unified. And let me just encourage you, irreparable harm is done to the name and cause of Christ when Christians don't get along irreparable harm how many lost people have been turned off by prideful christians who choose to fight one another instead of satan how many lost people have rejected christ because a backslidden believer wanted to spread discord instead of seek souls folks it doesn't make sense the world It doesn't make sense to a lost world when God's own people don't get along. This doesn't make sense. Gandhi said, I would be a Christian if it weren't for Christians. And sometimes we are bad ambassadors of the divine truths God's given us. So it's incumbent upon us to seek to follow God. And as we all seek God individually... A a, a unity is created as we get closer to God. Now it's important that we note here, all unity is not equal. We do not believe in a unity at all costs type of thinking. Unity at all costs is compromise. And as much as God wants us to get along, there are certain things that we can't give up. Not because, watch this, this is an important distinction. Not because it's how Paul Chapman thinks, but it's because what God said. Fighting over our own preferences is unwise. Fighting over the truths of God is necessary. Look at Jude, the book of Jude chapter 3, last book before the book of Revelation. Jude. Yes, Jude verse 3. Thank you. Only one chapter in Jude. There are some things worth fighting for. Look at Jude verse 3. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation... It was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith 
which was once delivered unto the saints. So here the Bible said, earnestly contend or fight for the faith. Already, uh, false doctrine had begun to infect churches. And remember, Satan is a corrupter. He doesn't create anything. He corrupts what God created. So God gave us the one and only true gospel, a faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So Satan comes along and says, well, we don't want people to get saved, so we need to corrupt that gospel. So you can believe in God, you just need to add works to salvation. You have to work your way. You have to be good enough to get saved. Or you, you, can, you can trust Jesus, but you have to be baptized in order to wash away your sin. Or, or you can get saved, but then you've got to keep being good in order to stay saved or you know maybe you can believe in god and religion's good but just not this god why not this god over here why not this religion over here so satan began to corrupt the one and only true gospel here called the common salvation salvation that applies to everyone and jude under inspiration of the holy ghost encouraged the christians to contend earnestly for the faith we can't sit by and allow people to corrupt the true gospel. We can't sit idle and just allow people to uh, lie about God. In my Bible reading this morning, I was in Jeremiah, and over and over he's talking about the false prophets that were saying things that God never told them to say. And how many preachers are out there saying things that God didn't say, changing the gospel. We know in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said there's coming a day when many will say, uh, Lord, Lord, haven't I preached in your name? Haven't I done good works? And he'll say, depart, I never knew you. All of the, much of the friction in Christianity comes from godly people who have to say no to false doctrine. We cannot give in to people who are preaching lies just for the sake of unity. Does that make sense to you? Uh, unity at all costs is compromise. The other percentage of disunity among Christianity is people arguing over uh, what they think, and divisions and strifes and personalities and foolish things that don't matter. We have to make sure we don't get caught up in that. For sure. But there are some things worth fighting for. Unity is the goal. But every believer should strive for unity with his Christian and brothers and sisters according to the truth of God. So watch this. It's important you get this. The closer we all get to God together, the more unified we are. The further apart we get from God, or maybe one person's close and the other person's not, now we're not unified. I often teach this in, in marriage counseling. They're like, the preacher, we just can't get along. We just, it, it's, it, it's uh, not going to work. The number one reason why people get divorced today is irreconcilable differences. Think about that. We just can't get along. And neither one of us are budging. The way you fix that is both of you have to budge, but not giving the husband his way or the wife her way, giving God his way. And when both of you give God his way, then you can become unified. All right, so let me give you a couple thoughts here, uh, and we'll go to the house. Number one, unity is expected. Unity is expected. Psalm 133 uh, talks about brethren dwelling together in unity. Uh, look at Ephesians chapter 3. All Christians are part of the family of God. 
Ephesians chapter 3, and look at verse 14. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. So here the Bible talks about Christ and the family of God in heaven and in earth. We're all part of the same family. Saints living on earth today, saved people on earth today, and those who've died and, and are in heaven today, we're all part of the same family under Christ. Furthermore, the Bible teaches us that we are uh, brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, 1 Corinthians 7 Verse 15, James chapter 2, verse 15, talks about brothers and sisters. These are uh, allusions to we're all part of the same family. We have the same father, and we're part of the same family. Now look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Unity is expected. God expects his children to get along. First Corinthians chapter one and look at verse ten. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. That's pretty clear, isn't it? You say, okay, so we'll give Bob his way, or we'll give Jane her way. No, give God his way. The same mind is the mind of Christ. The same judgment is the judgment of God. And so to the extent that we all agree with God, then we can all speak the same thing. Isn't that good? Strife comes when we begin fighting for our own way. Look at verse 11. For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. So the Apostle Paul's been told there's fighting and contention among them. Now, this is an interesting verse, and, and just let me, I'm not fixing anything now, just let me give you some preventive maintenance. Oftentimes when there's a problem in the church or something needs to be dealt with, someone will come to me and say, I know this is going on, but I don't want you to tell them that I told you. Right? So I'm supposed to deal with a problem without any type of evidence, without any type of assertion, without any type of, uh, maybe I just get a word of the Spirit. Oh, oh, I feel something. Brother Lee, are you involved in this? I just feel it. Now here the Apostle Paul was thanking God for the house of Chloe that they were willing to stand up and be counted and say, hey, there's some problems here that need to be dealt with. And when, when someone comes to me and talks to me about that, and sometimes if it's just a, an investigatory thing or we just need to look into it, I understand that. But I'll often tell them, if I need to deal with this, I, I need you to be able to, to stand up and, and, and say that you saw this. For problems to be dealt with, there needs to be a, a witness, right? And someone has to be willing to stand up and stand out and say, listen, I'm not looking for trouble but they're, they're going to hurt themselves, or they're going to hurt their family, or, or they're going to hurt, hurt the church, or, or whatever. And so I'm, I'm willing to go on record that this is happening. That's how things get fixed. You see what happens in our world today? Chaos comes with unnamed sources. Entire books are being written without naming one source and treated as if it's gospel. 
we're in the Word of God, we have to have eyewitnesses. This is what I saw. This is what I heard. Even at Judge Judah, you can't use hearsay. The People's Court, remember that? Some of you remember that back in the 80s and 90s, Judge Wapner. Uh, I was thinking about that the other day. I was with my wife. I said, I keep having this song play through my head, and I figured out what it was. It's the People's Court. Uh, too many lazy afternoons after school, amen? Yeah, pray, pray for the pastor. Uh, but you can't even use hearsay in there. Well, somebody told me that they saw you. That's not how problems are fixed. I saw it. I heard it. My name is. That's how things get fixed. And here, in the house of Chloe, he named them and said, listen, this is a letter to the whole church. The family of Chloe's told me what's going on. And they were able to to fix some problems. And now look at verse 12. He's dealing with the disunity. Now this I say that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, and I am of Apollos, and I have Cephas. Those are different preachers, and I have Christ So you had divisions over, I like this preacher best, and I like this preacher best, and I like his methods best, and I like his leadership best. But they're all supposed to be following Jesus. Then Paul asks in verse 13, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified you, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? He said, listen, these personalities are all preaching Christ. You're fighting over the personalities when it's all about Jesus. We've got to keep it about Jesus. He goes on to say, I thank God that I baptized none of you but Crispus and Gaius, lest any should say I baptized in mine own name. Look at verse 18. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. I will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made the foolish the wisdom of this world? Here he's talking about, you say, well, so-and-so is a businessman, and, and so-and-so is pretty smart. They probably know what they're talking about, and so-and-so is distinguished, and so-and-so is the president of the bank downtown, and they probably know what they're talking about. And God's like, it's all about Jesus. It's not about the preachers. It's not about the personalities. It's not about the individuals in the church. It's all about Christ. And when you keep it about Christ, there's unity. When you allow it to become about other things, there's disunity. Look at verse 29. That no flesh should glory in His presence. We shouldn't lift up ourselves over Christ. It's all about Jesus. Verse 30, But of Him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, He that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Don't glory in your opinions. Don't glory in your your wisdom. Don't glory in your position. Don't glory in your experience. Glory in Jesus Christ. And we all bow the knee. In the presence of Christ. And that's how unity is achieved. Unity is expected and every family should be unified. Every Christian family, every organization, every team, every church, every business, unity is expected. Nobody joins a team hoping to fight and argue all day. No, unity is expected. Jesus himself said a house divided against itself cannot stand, didn't he? And we have to be wise 
We said, number one, unity is expected. Look back at, at Psalm 133. Just let me give you these final things. Psalm 133, verse 1, Behold how, what's the next word? Good. Behold how good. Number two, unity is good. Verse 1 begins with behold. I like that. It means to look. Unity can be seen. You know, you can tell when there's unity and you can tell when there's not unity. You can tell when people are getting along and, and when they're not getting along. Even when you try to hide it, right? Two ladies pass each other in the hallway in church. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Deborah. And you can just tell it's like, whoa, what just happened? It's like they just slapped each other emotionally. Two guys walking down and they just give each other kind of the, the mean nod. You know, they're kind of growling. You can tell. Can I give you a secret? You can usually tell when a husband and wife's not getting along. You can tell when a parent and a kid's not getting along. You can tell. And you ask any businessman, any counselor, in any coach, disunity destroys. But unity is good. Getting everybody on the same page, amen? Unity produces peace. God expects us to make an honest effort for unity among the brethren. Ephesians 4, 3, don't turn to it. But it says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That word endeavoring means to make an effort. We should be making an effort to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And notice it's not the unity of humanity, it's the unity of the Spirit. And then when there's unity, there's peace. So we said, number one, unity is expected. Number two, unity is good. Number three, unity is pleasant. Look at verse 1 again. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. The word pleasant means delightful. It's a delight to live in unity. Hey, I like coming home to my wife. When my wife was healthy, I'd walk in the door and she was waiting there for me with a smooch. That'll make you want to come home. She'd hear the car in the, the, the car in the driveway or, or after cell phones, you know, calling and, and say, hey, I'm on my way home. And I knew when I pulled in the driveway, she's going to be waiting there. When the kids were little and she was healthy, she'd have all the kids by the door for when I came in. I'd get a smooch from Mama, and I'd get loving from my kids. Hey, I'm not stopping anywhere on the way home if I can help it. I want to go home. But it's different when you know you walk in the door and it's like, there are those days too. Hey, men, let me just give you an encouragement. Uh, after having a sick wife where I've had to try to be mom, we're not equipped for it. We're just not equipped for it. These women are special. And don't walk in and there's, the floor's not picked up yet and, and the house is a little bit in disarray and you're upset. Good grief, you don't know the world war she's been through. The throw up, the dirty diapers, the, the crying, the, the no naps, the, the, all the other stuff that came up. Let me tell you, just thank God you get to go to work. Trust me. Trust me. I'd rather work 12 to 15 hours a day than try to be a, a, a wife and mother. I'm just not equipped for it. And thank God I've got a good one. But sometimes we get foolish about the, 
Ah, oh, dinner's five minutes late. What have you been doing, woman? You've been laying around all day, taking naps, watching soap operas? Yeah, that's exactly what she did. The kids fanning her, uh, bringing her bonbons. You know, darling, bring me the ice cream and the silver spoon, you know, and she's just laying there with her feet up. As the, I mean, we gotta, we got to think straight about this stuff. And let me also say to the wives, you don't know what your husband's been through during the day. You've been fighting battles too, but you don't know what he's gone through. One of my preachers used to say, be good to everybody because everybody's having a tough time. It's just a good rule of thumb. Be good to everybody. And if someone's being rude to you, give them a little love and kindness because they probably need it. Unity is expected. Unity is good. Unity is pleasant. Unity is precious. Verse 2, if you look at it, it is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard that went to the skirts of his garments. This is uh, an allusion back to the anointing of the priest. And when God anointed the priesthood through Aaron, they made up a very special oil. It had a base of olive oil, and it had many expensive and precious ingredients, myrrh, cinnamon, sweet calamus, and cassia, and it was all mixed in there together. It had a beautiful fragrance, and it was only allowed to be, this special mixture was only allowed to be used on the priests. And when they anointed Aaron and when they anointed a priest, they, they poured it over Aaron, and it just began to run down uh, and, and onto his beard and onto his clothes. And uh, right here he had the breastplate on with the 12 tribes of Israel, and that oil ran down on the breastplate and ran down, the Bible says, all the way down to the skirts of his garments. And we won't take time to develop that, but uh, just take notice that this oil smelled good. It filled the room with its pleasant smell. And as we talked about, it's a pleasant thing to be in unity. Then we see the, the unity is precious. It was costly. It's going to cost you something to be unified. It's going to cost you your pride. It's going to cost you your preferences. You're not always going to get your way. And that's okay. Because as long as God's getting his way, it eventually works out better for you anyway. And then you see that unity, that, that, that oil that symbolized the, the Holy Spirit and unity, it spread. It began to flow. And you know, whenever people see what unity looks like, they want some of it too. And it spreads. Let me say, lastly, unity is a blessing. Look at verse 5, Psalm 133, verse 3. As the dew of Hermon and as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. The greatest blessing is eternal life amen but here god says it's it's like unity is like the dew you know we were outside camping and the sun goes down and the air gets cooler and it doesn't hold the water and the water begins to settle the dew the dew is just something that god does it it waters the earth it generates the blooms and blossoms that beautify the earth and in the same way, unity beautifies your life. And it's not really something you have to work up. You're not trying to be unified as much as you're trying to be unified with God. You can't make people agree with you. This is the problem with 
with uh, violent Islam. Their, their uh, soul-winning effort is agree with me or we'll kill you. That, that's not what God says. There are, are violent Hindus right now in India making people submit or killing them. But you know, it's not the Christian's job. We don't go around killing people or beating people into submission. The way we have to do it is I'm going to agree with God, and I pray you will too. And I will encourage you to agree with God, but I'm going to agree with God. The Bible says in Corinthians, if any man be ignorant, let him be ignorant. Sometimes you just have to let people be ignorant for a while and pray that God returns them back to the truth. But whenever you're in, in unity with God, it's like unity's like that dew that just appears and beautifies your life. Unity's the goal. We should strive for unity with our Christian brothers and sisters, but genuine unity. I can't agree with the devil for unity. I can't compromise with evil for unity because that's false unity, and all it does is bring frustration and harm. But I can lovingly speak the truth. I can kindly hold my ground. And I can encourage people to agree with God and I can pray. And you know what happens? The Bible, the Bible says, the Bible doesn't say this. My mom used to say it. Uh, birds of a feather flock together. You ever hear people say, the Bible says cleanliness is next to godliness. It's like, uh, no, it doesn't. Uh, so sometimes we have these uh, colloquialisms that we just assume come from, from God. The Bible doesn't say birds of a feather. It says it a different way, not that exact quote. gives the principle. But my mom used to say birds of a feather flock together. And you know what? If you agree with God, you'll find other people that agree with God. And if you don't want to agree with God and you want to go your own way, you'll find other people that are going that way. That's just the way life works. All I can control is me. Amen? All you can control is you. But let's agree with God and strive for that unity. Let's pray. Father, thanks for the truth. I pray that you would give us unity in our homes, our workplaces, our church, our community, our country. Lord, that unity only starts with you. The more people we can lead to you, the more people that, that get saved and born again, the more people there can be that will agree with you. I pray we'd be busy about that. Pray that you'd draw people to yourself. Lord, give us unity, but not, not in a way that, that compromises who you are and what we should believe. Give us true unity as we seek to agree with you. If there's someone here that's not saved, we pray today would be the day of their salvation. And they could agree with you about the gospel, that they're a sinner, that, that they're going to hell without you, that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died on the cross, was buried and rose again, and that you'll forgive them if they, if they trust you. Help them to agree with you in that. Heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Uh, we'll take a moment of reflection, invitation. Wonder if there's any strife in your life. There's strife in all of our lives, folks. There really is. Some of it we can help. Some of it is our fault. Identify that and fix it. Some of it is outside of our control, and all we can do is just be committed to God and pray for the others. Whatever the need in your life is, take a moment at the invitation. Let's pray for unity for our families, our churches, our country, our community.
and that we could turn many to righteousness. As the piano plays, let's stand.